Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning if you're watching online. We're thankful that you're here with us as well. I hope you've had a good weekend so far. Uh, We're looking forward to uh, this next week, our uh, pumpkin uh, painting party, a lot of things going on in our church right now. And if you're new at City Walk, thank you for being here today. Uh, Today we're starting a brand new series, and uh, it's a series that uh, when when you think about the start of our church, we started City Walk about uh, just over two years ago. And when we started City Walk a few years ago, we started it to be a church, kind of an alternative to church as usual. And uh, for some of you, uh, this, this church is maybe the first church that you've connected to and called home. And, and we have a variety of different people that connect here at City Walk. Some of you, you grew up in church, and man, you've been in church probably since the first Sunday you were home from the hospital. And for others, man, maybe you didn't grow up at church and that that wasn't part of your life. And and so you're here as well. For me, I grew up where church was just a normal part of life. Uh, It was our family's tradition, man. We went, I mean, it was like old school church. We went on Sunday morning. We went on Sunday night. We went on Wednesday night, and in like extra spiritual weeks, we went a couple other times for a missions conference or special meetings, and, and that was just kind of how I was brought up. And when you went to church, at least how I was brought up, it was dress your best. And so, man, jeans, and I remember at my church, my dad is like, you had to wear a belt and do not wear shoes without socks. That is I think of the devil, and so, I mean, my dad, he wanted me to, to dress up, and, and I remember as a kid, I, I, when I got to be about a teenager, uh, things loosened up a little bit in our house, and I remember wearing jeans to church, and that was like a huge deal, and I remember the guy in front of me, a, a guy that I loved and respected and had impacted me a lot in my life, during church, he turned around to kind of an older guy, and he, man, he was like, what are you doing, man? You don't wear that to church. And I was like, I'm sorry, Mr. J. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was just kind of how, how, how I was brought up. And, and when I was brought up and kind of how I was brought up, it was like, and this was the, and you parents, you know this, you have the be on your best behavior talk before you show up to church. I know we've been fighting all morning. I know, you know, daddy just said a couple cuss words, and I know that wasn't good, but when we get to church... Everybody clean things up. Everybody be on your best behavior. And, and that was kind of, you know, be on your best behavior when you're at church. And my mom and dad, my mom would sing in the choir. And so the way our church was set up, it was a, a little Baptist church in Lakeland, Florida. The, the platform was up a little higher. And so mom could see into the pews. And so I would be sitting on this side of the church. And if I started to cut up, mom would, would start giving me the look. And then she would... She had no issue with me like, 
Like she was telling because dad sat over here, the family, the family row was over here. You know, if you grew up in the church where you had like the family row, that's where you sat every week. And mom, and if I didn't get up and do it, and, and once in a while she'd be like, like, are you serious, mom? You want me to get up in the middle of church and walk up into the choir loft? She's like, got a seat by her. And, and that was kind of the, how, how I grew up and, and church was a uh, little bit more formal than it is today. And, and honestly, as I, I joke about it, but even though it was more formal than what I like today and kind of how our church is today, man, I, I was impacted greatly. And I had a really good experience at Heritage Baptist Church in Lakeland, Florida. And for some of you, you maybe had a similar experience. Maybe you grew up in church, and for you would say, man, it was, yeah, it was valuable. Maybe they did it a little differently than maybe other churches you've been to, but you'd say, man, overall, growing up, going to church, it was valuable and helpful for me. But, but then there's maybe some other people here, and you say, man, I grew up going to church, and it was anything but good. And in fact, for you, you would say, as you look back on your experience with the church, you, you might even say, man, I was hurt by the church. I was a little confused by the church. Instead of it being a life-giving experience, it was more of a life-draining experience. And so for you, as you think back, it's maybe not the best of memories. And so there was probably a time in your life, if that's how you grew up, that Man, when you got a little bit older, you just kind of walked away from it all. And maybe when you were allowed to not go to church and when it was kind of up to you, you just for a season just decided to walk away because of the experience that you had had. But then there's maybe some other people here or you're watching online and you'd say, you know what, I, I didn't grow up going to church at all. It just really wasn't a part of my life. I, I knew some people that went and there were some good people that went and I knew some people that went that weren't good people, but for me, it just was never a part of my life. And maybe for you, City Walk is the first church that you would even call a home church in your life. But, but here's, here's what I want you to think about. No matter what your background is, no matter if you loved going to church, hated going to church, or ever was a part of it, I want to ask you a couple questions that maybe you've never thought of, and maybe you haven't even, maybe you've thought of them, but you've never looked at things this way. And here's the first question I want you to think about. The first question is this, how do you view the church? So what comes to mind for you when somebody says church, what, what, what naturally pops into your head? For, for probably a lot of us, if we're honest, we would, we would think of, oh, it's a, this is a, when I think of church... It's a building I go to once a week for about maybe about 90 minutes, and, and there's a little singing, there's a little preaching, there's a little Bible, there's maybe a, hopefully a couple good conversations, and, and when you think of church, you might think of a place, a building, a time period on Sunday morning that you set aside to go be a part of something, and maybe that's what you think of. But here's another question that you probably have never thought of that I want you to lean into whether you grew up in church or not, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. And here's the question. Does your view of the church match Jesus' intention for the church? Does the way you view church, does that match up with what Jesus intended the church to be when it started 2,000 years ago? Did, did Jesus intend for the church to be a building that you visit 
once a week. You hear some music. A guy gets up on the stage and yells at you for 30 minutes. Maybe you get a good cup of coffee. Maybe you give a little money and then you go home until next week. Is that what Jesus, when he put the church together, when he said, this is what's going to happen after I leave, is that what he was thinking about? See, over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what did Jesus really intend the church to be. And here's what I want you to do, if you would. I want to encourage you, whether your experience has been good or bad or none, would you be willing to maybe set aside your view of the church and look maybe in a fresh way at what Jesus intended this thing to be when he began it? See, Jesus began this movement called the church about 2,000 years ago, and he started this unstoppable movement that we still are a part of today. And and about 2,000 years ago, right around the time Jesus was on the planet, there was another guy, a friend of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, named Matthew. And Matthew, for a season of his life, he was an employee of Rome. He was a tax collector. He wasn't a real popular guy with the Jewish people. But then he became a follower of Jesus, and Matthew gives us a backstage pass into a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, and in this conversation, he tells us what he intended the church to be. And so Matthew gives us this kind of backstage, you you kind of get to, to hear behind the scenes the conversation Jesus had and really hear his heart for what the church should be. Leading up to this conversation, man, things are going well for Jesus. He's just fed 5,000 people. And then uh, shortly after that, he, he, uh, he feeds 4,000 people with just a few fish and a few pieces of bread. He's recently walked on water. He's healing people. I mean, people are trying to get around Jesus so much that if they can just touch the, the hem of his robe, they think he'll heal them. And so, I mean, he's just, he's super popular right now and people are want to be around him. But while he's popular, you, you, if you've been around uh, the New Testament, spent any time in the New Testament, you know, man, he was popular with a lot of people, but he was also not popular with the group. And this is the religious leaders. The religious leaders were not a big fan of Jesus' growing popularity. Jesus was a threat to them because he was doing things differently than they did. And so Jesus, as he's growing more popular, this religious crowd is trying to stop Jesus, trying to discredit Jesus. He's doing things they don't like. He's taking some of their spotlight, and they hate that. And so in the midst of all that's going on, Jesus has this conversation with some of his closest followers. And this conversation is a conversation that has ramifications on our life now 2,000 years later. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bible, you can look at it or it'll be up on the screen. And here's how it starts. Matthew 16 verse 13, it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. So this is a important Greco-Roman city. This is a place about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It was the home site uh, for, the wor- for worship of the nature god. So this was an important city back then. And so Jesus, he's, he makes his way there. And, if, and you know, I mean, he, they don't have cars. They, they walk everywhere. So he's making his way there. 
And in the midst of him getting there, he's having this conversation. And so it says this. It says, when he got there, he says, he asked his disciples, he asked them a question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? So basically, Jesus is hanging out with his guys. They're in Caesarea Philippi. And he says, hey, hey guys, what's the word on the street? Like, like, what does everybody say about me? Who do people say that I am? It's a question you've all asked. It's a question that I've asked. It's a question that is probably a normal question. If, if you are about to date someone, or you're, you, know, you, you look over now at your spouse and you remember when you first started dating them, you probably at some point, just like I did, you put out some feelers. Like, hey, I wonder what, for me it was, hey, what is that Lori Gledho? I wonder what she thinks of me. So you kind of put people out like, hey, find out, does she know who I am? What does she really think of me? Like, if I ask her out, am I going to get like a no? And, and you know, you, do, you know how it is. You do the same thing. And so this isn't an abnormal question. Jesus is like, hey, what's the word on the street? Who do people, kind of these crowds that are following us, who do they say that I am? And so here's what the disciples said. They said, they replied, hey, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so, man, this, the response from the disciples is, is flattering. Like they, they say, hey, man, uh, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, these were all prophets that were well-respected in, in kind of Israel and And these were all guys that had done miracles, that had said powerful things. And so, man, this was, these were some of the heroes. So if you were a little kid back then, instead of, you know, a sports person on your wall, you might have had Jeremiah, a poster of him. I mean, this is a a hero in Israel. You might have had a picture of Elijah. And so they're like, hey, man, this is who people say. It'd be like you if you're a quarterback. So maybe you're a quarterback in... uh, in peewee football, or you're a high school quarterback, and, and, and people say, you know what, you know what, you, who you remind me of? Now, you, 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 you play a lot like Joe Montana. Uh, I see how you throw it. It reminds me of John Elway, or man, actually, I see how you command the huddle and how you lead. It's a lot like Tom Brady. Like, you'd be like, oh, yes, all right. Like, that would be a high compliment. Those are impressive people to be compared to. Well, the people that they, the disciples said, these are impressive people. Like, okay, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, okay. But then Jesus turns it a little bit, and he, he asks a, maybe a deeper, more personal question. He says, but hey, you guys, but you, he asks, who do you say that I am? Like, I, I get what everybody says, but you guys spend time with me. You're some of my best friends You see me in my good moments, my bad moments. Like, you're with me all the time. I get what everybody else says, but who do you say that I am? It'd be like you asking your kids, hey, who who do your friends, what do they think of me? Okay, well, they think this, they think this, they think this. And then you say to your kids, okay, now, what do you, what about you? (laughs) You live with me. You see me all the time. What do you say? And that's what he said. And so it, it says this in verse 16. It says, Simon Peter answered. So Peter, if you read through the scriptures, he's kind of the mouthpiece for the disciples. And sometimes this gets him in trouble. This time he, he was right on what he was about to say. He says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
So, hey, guys, what, what are people saying on the street? Oh, Elijah, Jeremiah, you know, the, these are some of the people, John the Baptist. Okay, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Well, Jesus, we, we know you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one that was promised to come. You're the healer of relationship between God and man. You're the one we've been waiting for. And you're the son of the living God. All these gods around us, this nature God and this God, these are all dead gods. These are all statues that are all around us. But you're different. You are a living God. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. See, Peter acknowledged that Jesus was God. He was the one who had been promised. Man had broken a relationship with God, and Jesus was the one to come heal that relationship. You're the Messiah. You're the deliverer. It's what Peter said. And Peter was right. And Jesus tells him he was right. Jesus responded. Very next verse, it says this. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. See, see, Simon, you are blessed, and here's why you're blessed, because you, God has just given you something, some insight that you wouldn't have had on your own. This, this, who you say I am and what the answer you just gave was not an answer you came up with on your own, buddy. This is an answer that God himself gave you. And because of that, you are blessed because God has just spoken through you. And then Jesus says something. He says a phrase that will then have huge ramifications literally for the rest of eternity, what he's about to say. And here's what Jesus said after Simon gives the right answer. In verse 18, it says this. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Peter, high five, buddy. What you just said is right on. God gave that to you. And hey, by the way, Peter... On this rock, I'm about to build my church. What? What's he saying there? He's saying something that probably Peter didn't even understand at that moment. The people in the room, the guys around him, did not even understand the ramifications to what Jesus was saying. See, he was saying, and this is where you look at a few of these words, the word Peter in Greek, it means Petros. It's a f- kind of the, the phrase. And basically what it translates is, it translates small stones. So Peter, Petros. But then what Jesus does is a few words later, he uses the word rock. And the word rock is translated Petros. It's a different word. And it means like foundation boulder, like huge rock foundation And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, Peter, I'm going to build my church on something much bigger than you. And when he uses the word church, he's not talking about a building on Richland Road. That word church, it actually means called out ones. It means an assembly. He's saying, I'm going to build my movement of called out ones. 
I'm going to build it, Peter. You're, you're going to be a big part of it. You and the disciples. And, you know, for 2,000 years, there's going to be a lot of people come behind you that are going to build on the foundation. But the foundation of this movement is not based on you. It's based on me, the rock. It's based on the fact that I am the Messiah. That message you just said, on that message, I'm going to build my church. So, if you're a pastor, the pressure's off you. If you're a neighbor, the pressure to reach your whole neighborhood is off you. Doesn't mean you don't be involved, but, but here's what Jesus said. I, I'm going to do something. I'm going to build something on, based on this message, based on this truth that I'm the Messiah, I'm the deliverer, that truth, that message, I'm going to build a movement of called out ones. And then he says this, he says, he, he goes right at Satan and, and the, the enemy's greatest tool, at least the, the enemy, what the enemy thinks his greatest tool is, and that is death. See, for Satan, he thinks, man, if death is going to stop this movement and, and persecution will stop this movement. And so Jesus says, hey, I will build my church. And then he says this, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This phrase, gates of Hades, basically means gates of death. He's saying not even death itself will stop this movement of called out ones that I am building based on who I am and the message you just said, Peter, nothing will stop it, not even death. To the point where death will actually be a catalyst to the spread of this movement. It definitely won't stop it. Jesus says, you know what? There's nothing that's going to stop this movement. Jesus predicts not death, not persecution. It's going to stop this movement of called out ones that come together based on the message of Jesus, the Messiah, the deliverer. Nothing will stop it. And so here's the question. That's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty, I mean, Jesus, we, we get it. You are God. But man, that's a pretty big statement to say, I'm going to build something and not even death itself, not even persecution of the church is going to stop the movement. So let, let's, let's ask this question. So what happened? That's a bold statement. But, but what, what followed this statement? What happened in the next 10, 20, 30, 100, 200 years? What happened? I mean, we're sitting here 2,000 years later, and it seems like, you know, something's still going on. But what, what happened after Jesus says, not even death itself will stop the movement of the church? Well, in 57 AD, about 30 years after Jesus' death, there was about 3,000 followers of Jesus in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at this point is about 800,000 in population, and with that 3,000 followers of Jesus, there's about five small congregations that are probably more like house churches. So think of a church, 800,000, got about 3,000 people that are a part of it. They meet different locations. Not a lot. Not a lot going on, but, but there's something. 
Right after that, in 64 AD, Peter and Paul are killed. A huge persecution begins on the church. The emperor Nero begins to do gruesome and awful, intimidating things and kills Christians by the thousands. And so you would think, okay, Jesus, I will build my church and nothing will stop it. Well, what about Peter and Paul dying and and persecution? Did that stop it? Well, by AD 70, just 40 or so years, 50 years after Jesus was on the earth, just a few years after this persecution, after the death of Paul and Peter, by AD 70, 15% of the known world has heard the gospel. Not just Rome. 15% of the entire world has heard the message of Jesus and the scriptures have been translated into five languages. In in 81 AD, just a few years after that, 40,000 Christians are murdered throughout Rome, which obviously, man, that's got to stop it, right? Persecution, death, I mean, it's not popular to be a Christian. It's got, that's going to stop it, right? Well, by AD 100, 28% of the world has heard the gospel. And it was in that same year that a man by the name of Justin Martyr was born. He was one of the first Christian philosophers. He was born in Judea. and Most of his works have been lost, but a few of his works have Uh, survived. And and one of the things he did with his life is he would write to the emperors. And he would write to the emperors, and his goal was to persuade the emperors that Christians were good for the empire, and that persecution wasn't, and that that the things that Christians did were helpful. And so he tried to persuade. He tried to persuade the emperors. And and Justin Martyr, as he was describing Christians, and as he was describing this, like, This movement that was unstoppable because people would be killed and persecution was happening. And he was trying to describe why this movement would not stop to the emperor. He said this, and this will be up on the screen. He says, no one makes us afraid or leads us into captivity as we have set our faith on Jesus. For though we are beheaded and crucified and exposed to beast and chains and fire and all other forms of torture... It is plain that we do not forsake the confession of our faith, but the more things of this kind which happen to us, the more are there others who become believers and truly religious through the name of Jesus. Like, emperor, you can keep killing us, you can keep persecuting us, but every time you do it, more people believe. You can't stop this thing. In 165 AD, Justin and his students were killed. They were beheaded. By 200 AD, 32% of the world has heard the gospel. So we're talking 150 or so years after Jesus has walked this earth. 32% of the people on earth have heard the name of Jesus and what he did for them. And this next thing to me is astounding. By 260 A.D., 40% of the most powerful 
empire, one of the most powerful empires that has ever existed on this planet, the Roman Empire. 40% of them have not just heard the gospel, but they are followers of Jesus. By 265 AD. There's a a map that we're going to show you. It'll be up on the screen, and it shows the spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. And you can see by Constantine, all the the green, by 325 AD, you can see how how much has, I mean, it has spread throughout the whole Roman Empire. Because Jesus said something. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the gates of death, persecution, it will not stop it. I'm going to keep building this thing. And that's exactly what happened by 400 A.D., 12 generations after Jesus walked this earth. This is astounding to me. 40% of the world has heard the gospel. There's no social media. There's no TV. There's no video. They heard the gospel because people got on ships and boats and walked to city after city after city, and the gospel went out, and Jesus, what he said happened. I will build my church, and the gates of death, not even death itself, is going to stop this thing. Lest we think this is just an old thing. Do you know two of the places right now where the church is moving forward fastest? Two of the places, let me give you a clue, it's not the United States. Two of the places where the church is moving and people are following Jesus at the greatest rate are Iran and Afghanistan. Right now. What? That's not what I see on the news. That that can't be true. There's a movement of people that are beginning to follow Jesus in some of the most persecuted, tough places on the earth because about 2,000 years ago, there was a guy named Jesus that said, hey, not even death itself, not persecution, nothing is going to stop this movement called the church. It's not a building. It's It's a group of called out people. It's an assembly of people that are based around this message of Jesus. See, when Jesus spoke of the church, when he was talking to his guys, he envisioned much more than a weekly pilgrimage to a building. See, he envisioned a movement of his followers that met together to be encouraged and equipped and then scattered to love and bring hope to their communities. That's what he imagined, a hope that is found in a relationship with Jesus. And and as those people scattered, the message goes forth and nothing stops it. See, for 2,000 years, enemies have tried to like squash this thing. And this is, man, if you're, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're kind of investigating faith, this is not a biblical thing. Just look at history. You can just look at it from a historical perspective. This church thing, this movement that Jesus started, it has gone crazy all over the world. And not, not death, not persecution has stopped it. In fact, all those things have actually helped to spread it. So no matter where you are, or if you're watching online or you're here, no matter where you are as it relates to faith, relates to your experience with the church, 
how religious you consider yourself. Let's come back to that question that I asked you earlier. That simple question, does your view of the church match Jesus' intention for the church? Does does the way you, when you experience and think about the church and, and what you think you're a part of, does it match up with the intention that Jesus had when he said, I will build my church and it will not be stopped? See, there's a lot of different views of the church. There are some people that view the church, and and honestly, they wouldn't say it this way because it would make them look bad, but they kind of view the church as a social club. And what I mean by that, it's kind of a place you hang out with, a few friends, you might do some networking, you can kind of check the the charitable organization box in your life, like, hey, I'm a part of a charitable organization, I give a little money, and so it's more social to them. And, And that maybe you're like, yeah, that's kind of how I see it. That's one way to view it, and that's something that, honestly, in America, there's a lot of people that this is, they wouldn't call it this, but this is kind of how they view the church. Other people view the church kind of as the, the kind of a spiritual building. It's, the, hey, I visit it once a week if I'm not too tired or I don't have something better on the agenda to do and try to get there, you know, a couple times a month, hopefully, and, and maybe get a little nugget of truth that'll help me have a better life that week and and I kind of ease my conscience a little bit as long as I go to that spiritual building maybe once or twice at least a month unless I got like something else going on. And as long as I can do that a few times a month, I, I feel like, okay, I'm good with God and I've been to the spiritual building and that's kind of how they look at church. But maybe Jesus wants us to see it differently. Maybe he wants us to see it as an unstoppable movement that honestly has nothing to do with the building. It's a movement based around the person and message of Jesus that changes marriages, that changes cities, that changes countries, eternities. It's a movement of called out ones that has joyfully sacrificed for over 2,000 years to the point where we're here today. See, right before Justin Martyr was killed, beheaded with several of his students, he wrote something to the emperor to try to explain to the emperor a little bit about why Christianity was so attractive and why it, in the midst of all that was going on, it just continued to flourish. And people just, it was hard to hate it. And this is what he said as he was talking about some of the Christians that were around him, some of the followers of Jesus. He He says this, he says, we formerly rejoiced in uncleanness of life, but now love only chastity. Before we used the magic arts, but now dedicate ourselves to true and unbegotten God. Before we loved money and possessions more than anything, but now we share what we have and to everyone who is in need. Before we hated one another and killed one another and would not eat with those of another race, but now the manifestation of Christ, we have come to a common life and we pray for our enemies and try to win over those who hate us without just cause. He was saying there's something unique about this group that doesn't seem to be stoppable. It can't be stopped, and there's something different about these people. And as we close, I want you to think, if you, 
if you find yourself a little bit bored with being a follower of Jesus or maybe bored a little bit with the church, I, I invite you to take a fresh look at it. Because what Jesus explained, you should not be bored with. It should not, there should not be apathy towards that. I mean, if, if, all, if all it is is a building that we come to a few times a month and maybe do a couple things, and I see how that could get old or boring or kind of, yeah, if, if I can do it, I can. If I can't, no big deal. But if, man, if, if we see it the way Jesus saw it and the way it's been seen and sacrificed for for over 2,000 years, it should breed anything but apathy in our hearts. If you're here and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're watching online for, for you. I mean, to really see it this way, it, it really starts with a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and it's not about Jesus, I can see how it would be boring or kind of, ah, I don't really need that. But if you think about being loved by someone so much that he would go to the cross and pay for your sin so that you could have a relationship with God... That's something special. And for you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would invite you to take that step and, and admit to God that, man, I've sinned, I've disobeyed you, but I believe that Jesus died. He rose from the grave for me, and, and I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to be a part of the family of God. And you can do that right where you're at. But for most of you, maybe you're watching online, you, you're a follower of Jesus, and for you, as we close, I, I want to encourage you, stop just coming to a building, if that's what you find yourself doing. And instead, ask Jesus what part he wants you to play in the movement that he started 2,000 years ago. And as we lock arms with each other, our hope is that this not not become a, a building we come to, but man, a movement in our city that loves the unlovable, that brings hope to the hopeless, that sacrifices for people in, in such a way that they can't, they don't even know what to say. It's so generous. Like that's what this should be. That's what Jesus meant it to be. And so as we close today, I want you to think about this one question, and then we're going to delve into this a little bit more over the next few weeks. I want to encourage you to just ask this one question. Jesus, what part do you want me to play in your movement? And I, I promise you, here's what he's not going to say. Warm a seat a couple times a month on Richland Road. I promise he won't say that. He, he might tell you to, to go to a different church. Be a part of something else. Maybe, maybe you haven't gotten tied in here and you, you don't, man, you're like, ah, I like those people, but I'm not really for what they're for. Man, maybe he'll tell you to go somewhere else where you find a place where you can get behind the movement and get involved because it's not about a church. It's not about a building. It's about taking the message of Jesus and getting it to people that will spend an eternity without him in a place called hell and bringing hope to people that are hopeless Thousands of them are sitting in houses within five miles of us, and they just need hope. They need a marriage healed. They need help with their teenage son. They just need a friend. They need to be pointed to Jesus. They need somebody that's willing to say, man, I don't have it all together, but I have a relationship with Jesus, and it's changed everything for me. Can I just tell you about that? 
And then at the end of the day, it's not our job to build it. It's just our job to take the message and be faithful with it. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful that you, you invite us to be a part of your movement. You don't need us. We, we probably complicate it a little bit. But yet you invite us. You invite us to be a part of something you started 2,000 years ago. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here or they're watching online that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they would understand how much that you love them and how you coming to earth and dying on a cross and raising from the dead is just proof to them that you don't just say you love, you show it with what you do. And I pray today that they would follow you. Lord, for the rest of us that at times are in our faith, Lord, we get a little bit bored. It gets really routine, including me. It's, it gets routine sometimes. I pray that we would take a fresh look at what you really wanted the church to be. And I pray that we would just ask that question, Jesus, what part do you want me to play in your movement? It's not about a building. It's not about a person. It's about you and your message and the power of your message that has been unstoppable for 2,000 years. If you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you would say, hey, Chris, today I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I don't have a relationship. Maybe you've been around church. Maybe you've been hurt by the church in the past, but you, you're at a place right now where you say, hey, Chris, I, I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe he rose from the grave, and I, I want a relationship with him. Just in the quietness of this room, you might be watching online. Just tell God that. Just in your heart. Just tell him. Tell him, God, I, I admit to you I've disobeyed you. I've done it my way. I admit that. And then just tell him, I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the grave for me. And then just invite him. Jesus, just would you come into my life, transform my heart, and save me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you made a decision for Jesus or you're watching online, if you're here, you can just take that My Decision card in front of you and fill that out and maybe drop it in the offering box on the way out. And we'll just call you, just want to follow up. If you're watching online, you can just go to citywalk.cc. There's a decision card right there for you that you can fill out. And again, somebody will contact you and just help you understand the decision you made. Lord, I thank you that you say you will build your church and nothing will stop it. Amen.